So over the next three weeks, we are looking at um, the people and stories in the Old Testament. And so we're, we're looking at what these scriptures themselves represent um, and how we can read it for today. Um, we're going to learn about what the particular scripture actually says, uh, what it might be saying about God during the time that the story was written, when the story happened, and what it says about God today. Uh, we're also going to look about that person's story, and, and we're going to study. Um, and all those together hopefully point the way to, to somehow we apply these old stories that we find in the Old Testament to today, to our daily lives. I wanted to show you that longer video um, because I think it's important to learn about the different kinds of stories that we have in the Old Testament, the different kinds of literature that we have uh, that we're going to find as we keep going. It's important because I think it, I think sometimes we make the mistake of viewing it as all the same kind of literature that's given to us for the same purpose. Um, and when we don't look at it critically, when we don't take scripture seriously enough to, to know where it's coming from and why it was written, uh, why it was originally written down, we miss the power and the beauty of how it can speak to our lives today. Um, I know this is like the least catchy ever sermon title, uh, what the story of Deborah teaches us about God. I mean, like, that's so boring. Um, and the truth is, I, I tried to whittle that down to something a little more catchy, but we're going to do a little bit of uh, teaching and a little bit of history and literature lesson. If that's your jam, this is your morning. If it's not, we are going to get to um, the more traditional sermon portion here in a little bit, but um, I, I want to talk a little bit about how do we read these kinds of scriptures, um, especially those in that, that graph that are all to the very far end that are uh, that would be rated R if we tried to make them into a movie or NC-17 if we tried to make them into a movie, um, because they're given to us in a book that we title Holy. <laughs> so how do, we, how do we, what do we do with those passages? Uh, so far, we have been in what's uh, been called the Torah, actually just really the first part of the Torah, which is the story, um, uh, the stories of the changing relationship between God and God's people and that growing blessing, that promise of a blessing. And then the growing blessing um, as uh, as God's relationship continues changing with the people, the book of Judges that we're in today, along with Deuteronomy, Joshua, 1st and 2nd Samuel, and 1st and 2nd Kings belong to a very specific kind of historical tradition. Um, they were first committed to writing around 550 BCE. That's really important to remember. Um, uh, this was during the Babylonian exile. It was when one of these times where the Israelites are captured and at this time, part of the Israelites are actually taken to the land of Babylon. Um, this is incredibly, an incredibly important moment in the history of the Jewish faith. Um, this captivity formally ended in 538 BCE, so not too long after these stories were written down. Um, when the Persian conqueror of Babylonia, Cyrus the Great, gave the Jews permission to go home, to go back to their homeland. 
What we know, first of all, is that uh, historians will tell you that uh, the Israelites didn't, they didn't all leave Palestine at the same time. They were kind of, they moved out in waves. They were pushed out in waves. Um, And in the same vein, not all of them came home at the same time. They're coming back to their homeland uh, in, in, uh, over a span of time, and some never return home. That's, that is the environment in which these scriptures are being written down. Uh, because they're not located in one place now, but they're spread out. This is a, a promised people, a blessed people. And now they're not all together. Now they're scattered in what we call, this is a divinity score for you, in the diaspora. They're, they're spread out around um, their homeland. They weren't located in one place, and this matters because they're living into the idea of what it means to be one people who are scattered. Again, remember the temple, the religious leaders, they were the ones who provided the guidance, who provided um, the structure. They were the ones who provided access to God. So what does it mean when you're not right there with them? So pilgrimages to the temple become important. We have a rise of a lot of new rules and laws to to try to keep control as people are spread out far away. Um, And this is the culture of religion that Jesus steps into. They're, They're in a foreign land surrounded by the worship of other gods. And so it was very important to show what's happened in history when they have chosen to begin worshiping other gods in order uh, to show the mistakes, to show the stories of the depths to which they've fallen in their history, to remind them of what can be. Growing up, I feel like I heard a lot about the violence of God. God was a judge waiting for you to get it right or not get it right um, and to punish you for it. And we see this kind of language in our scripture even today. They make mistakes, and God punished them. And growing up, I thought, if God could punish them, God could punish me. How could I trust a God like this that seemed moody and angry? God was someone you, I felt like you couldn't win with, <laughs> that never you could never do enough. Because we talked a lot about these scriptures in, in church, um, using them as good examples of behavior management. Um, we talked about, we translated those into popular culture, movies, sex, music, TV. Um, I was worried that we could never win. You could never win for a God like that. I would never be safe from the wrath of that kind of God. We trivialize what the Israelite people did when we use it for behavior management in our world today. When we make it about movies or music or cuss words or, or activities or behaviors that we don't agree with. The Israelites, every time they got power, would abuse it. They would not care for the poor. They would create systems where there was no forgiveness, where people who were not them could not succeed. They would take over other lands, take over other property. They would abuse the power they had. This is what this Old Testament speaks to over and over again. They were not caring or kind in their ruling. 
they had an abuse of power, this feeling that they deserved the power and the blessing because they were God's blessed people. And it would lead to their demise over and over again. Remember, we're not looking at a short history in the Old Testament. We're looking at a, a really long history of the people making this mistake over and over again. And, and I believe it's it's a long history that when we as individuals, as governments, not just in America, but worldwide, begin to have a, a me first or an us first mentality, th- these are the stories that we need to pay attention to. And we trivialize it when we make it about certain cuss words that we shouldn't be saying. The themes are a lot bigger here. It is helpful, I think, in reading these kinds of scriptures to see, uh, to ask ourselves if the way that they talked about God is to be descriptive of God or more descriptive of the way that they understood God at the time. Remember, the culture in which this was written, they, they really did believe that God and their, the people that they were with, the gods that they worshipped, made everything happen kind of like puppet masters. They, they did not have the science that we do today. They had no other language. Now, do I believe that God allowed these things to happen? I, I certainly do. God gave them chance after chance, leader after leader, to draw them back to a place where they were living not only in their own blessing, but were a blessing to other people. And over and over again, they abuse that power. And there are consequences. They make wrong choices about how they live their lives, and there are consequences to that. But do you see how that's different than saying that we have a violent, wrathful God who hates the things that I do (laughs) and who's had enough and smites everyone. And, and I know that language is in scripture, but again, is that God, or is that the only language that they had to talk about a God at the time? I'm certain that even today, we all know someone who puts everything on God, every blessing, every negative thing, all of their language is around God made this happen like a puppet master. It takes away all the responsibility for the good or the bad. It's also helpful to look at why this part of scripture was written. If it was written to help people remember the stories of their own people, to remind them of past mistakes and and to keep them in line, to keep them from making more mistakes, the language is gonna reflect that. If you're telling a story about a past mistake to a child, one you want them to avoid, it shapes the way that you tell a story. So do we take all this? Do we throw it out? No, 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 no. We read it responsibly. What's the point and and the purpose? I remember hearing once that when you're unclear about what to believe about God, when the language just doesn't seem like a God that you feel like you could trust, the loving God, the God that we sing about that's a good, good God, to look to Jesus. That is God in flesh walking around. Do we see those actions? Do we see those words in the life of Jesus? Actually, what we see Jesus speaking against is the same thing that God is speaking against in the Old Testament. 
It is to religious leaders and religious people who abuse their power. It's power structures that he speaks against. That's the sinful behavior that we're talking about. Think about that the next time you hear someone speaking for God about a behavior that they don't agree with. Someone who doesn't see Christianity the way that they do, doesn't understand scriptures the way that they do, and just has judgment dripping from their lips. I wanted today to veer off from the story of Deborah to use the book of Judges to remind us to take seriously the act of really reading scripture, studying it. We can't pull out snippets to mean what we want them to. Uh, Author Scott McKnight talks about using them like grenades to throw at the people that we don't agree with, uh, to argue our perspective and annihilate those who disagree with us. We read all of scripture together. We read read it with respect and share it with humility. In the story of Deborah, Specifically, we see a story about a God who uses a woman in a male-dominated world as a leader, as a judge over her people. She speaks truth to them. They are in a season of wanting to get their life right, and she brings down the words of God to them. I love the detail that she sits under a palm tree. Uh, In Jewish uh, tradition, it is believed that that tree was a symbol for the truth um, that she was speaking. It, It said something about her words and her kind of leadership. They know how to come and find her to get her wisdom. She would have been in an open air area, preaching and teaching and pronouncing judgments to everyone who could hear her. One woman judge may not seem like a whole lot, but there was a whole lot of culture to move against for this leader to be a woman, a culture that God obviously does not buy into, a patriarchal culture that said only men could lead. Her inclusion shouldn't be read as a kind of a one-off sort of thing. There was no man that was willing to step up, so God had to use a woman. I've heard that description of this book, uh, and not using it as an example, but as the exception to the rule. Instead, part of what I loved about that video was that it showed the really short list of major judges that we have. The first three being uh, the ones who at least Well, it wasn't great. Their leadership wasn't great all the time. And what happened during their reign wasn't great. But they were they were the the um, the the better versions of judges. There were only three significant judges that led well. And one of them was a woman. This is a God who says, I use everybody. In fact, in this story, God not only uses Deborah, but another woman to kill the leader of the Canaanite army. We don't need to say, well, this is just one story. Rather, it's one story that shows the influence and the power of women in a patriarchal, male-dominated world of leadership that was written later in a patriarchal world that was given to people to read in a patriarchal world. The fact that women are included here speaks volumes more than just the words that are on the page. It's a miracle that we have this story, and it speaks to the character of Deborah and of God, 
who doesn't see the boundaries of limit and limitations that we often set in our world even today. In the whole of the book of Judges, we see God speaking to abusive power. We see a good God saying over and over again, you are here to do right in the world. You are here to do love in the world, to use the gift of being my people to bless the world. And and you keep using it to prop yourselves up and abuse others over and over. You keep playing around with worshiping other gods rather than trusting this God. Rather than trusting in the love and the promises of God, you go seeking that kind of protection and power from other places. In the book of Judges, and the story of the Israelite people, we see the redemptive love of an unrelenting God. In Deborah, we see a competent leader who is the only judge who's also called a prophet. She is called a mother of Israel. This is not a leader that the people are tolerating. This is a respected woman whose words matter to the people. They take her wisdom to heart. They trust that she is hearing from God. They trust her leadership. They trust her relationship with God. She, she also, we have the little detail that she waits to hear from the Lord. Uh, when she, before she goes and calls Barak to her, she hears from the Lord about the specific actions that are to be taken next. Uh, and we know that she's respected even by him uh, and that he knows she speaks for God because he will not go into battle without her. We see in her story that she names that Jael will win the battle. Another will women. Uh, another woman will win, not Barak. That's a whole other fascinating story that is also very violent. So we chose not to read it this morning. But I encourage you. That's another one that could be made into a a lifetime movie as well. May have already been. Uh, read those passages um, that come right after these of, of how Jael defeated the the leader of the army. In her song, Deborah's song, she lists the conversation of the women and how this battle is affecting them. When she tells the story of battle, she includes the voices of women who've played a part and who it affects. Honestly speaking, in in some instances, she shows praise or mercy. And sometimes in this prayer, it's very uh, uh, ruthless as she talks about these other women. But we see who this war affects. It's not just about plunder and about winning. There are people that are involved. We get a glimpse of the humanity of this battle because Deborah brings that different perspective. All of this together, again, shows a redemptive, unrelenting God who calls God's people back into relationship over and over, who does not give up who wants the best for them, but also wants the best for all people. When we really look at this scripture, we can sing words like, you are a good, good God, and we can mean them. We see God working through Deborah, an unlikely leader for the time, because God works in ways we can't even fathom sometimes. The result is a different kind of leader, a different kind of perspective, and it shows us a God that's not limited by our worldly limitations. Whether you need to see a good God this morning, 
or believe that God could be using you or, or another that you wouldn't expect to reveal something to you, may you find God at work in your own life this morning. We're going to end this time. Uh, we do have we have a response time this morning with a really, a really oldie but a goodie um, praise song. Uh, Change my heart, oh God, which is one that you know it's not a hymn, but we we wanted something we felt like everybody would know and could sing along with. I'd ask that if you're able to sing along or let these words be a prayer for you, ask God this morning to change your heart. Maybe it's in how you come to scripture, how your view of God is all tied up with other things that, that have nothing to do with God. Maybe it's changing your heart to see the needs of the world, to see the purpose of your own life in a different way, to be changed to see your Christian life lived out differently. Maybe it's for God to change your heart to see yourself as a leader, to be willing to step up and out or perhaps It's to trust that God is, in fact, showing up in a way that you wouldn't have expected. However you come to this time, let's sing Change My Heart, O God, as a prayer together.